dearly beloved, we are um, gathered here today to mourn the loss of Lachlan Bowes. You know, some of his uh, family and friends listen to this uh, podcast here, and yes, it's just unfortunately he didn't make it back from over east. Um, we had Jake on last week on the pod, and you know, great, great guest, but he will not oh, be. Oh, Lily, you're your dog. Whoa, what? What? <laughs> Are you doing it without me? Uh, yeah. Have I mean, you got Joke in there? Uh, no. Have I've, you got Joke in there again? No, I've got this bottle of, um, Oi, $30 bottle of the wine. Fucking... Oh, it's, all, it's unlocked. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I'm just talking to the black. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, you were yeah. doing this without me, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. that's cool, yeah. I guess. All right, do you mind if I sit in and just review my normal space? Oh, no, space? no, no, go that's ahead. Cool. I'll just move right. this $30 bottle yeah, of wine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not right in anybody's here. way. Yeah, no, like, I'm no, not, like, yeah. you know, I'm not keeping this no. one for Jay, because he, he's not here, is he? Yeah. Because, you know, no, we're, okay, cool. Okay, would you like a glass? No, thank you, I don't, I don't drink. Oh, okay, okay. No, well, I'll just have this all to myself I mean, I do, to I, mourn the loss of Lachlan Bones. I do have water. Like I said, I don't drink, but, you know, occasionally I have water. Occasionally I have yeah. water. I had a Coke just now. I had a little bit of Coke. A little bit of cocaine. Bit. Oh, so is that way you get that moustache? Welcome right. to episode 11. You had to think really, like, you were episode like, episode 11. One, two, yeah, three, yeah, yeah, I had to count. Um... And I've ran out of fingers. <laughs> so It I, took a minute. I did not think we would reach it this far. When I was little, right, for a very you long were little? time. It's funny to look at me. I know. I think I'm at just... one point I was smaller than what I am now, which is eight foot nine. Pretty much. Eight foot nine. Yeah. That's impressive. I have to duck below most doorways. <laughs> um, but when I was little, right, I used to be of the mindset that five was the highest number because that was the number of fingers that I had on my hand. And that's how many there are in the um, the pop pop group high five. I probably made that connection too, but in my head it was like where I'd learned to count using my fingers, it was like, well, there's no more, so five must be the highest number. So my logic was if I'm one or two or however old I was, then my dad must be five because he's older than me and five's the highest number. So, um, yeah, you're back. I'm back. Back in black. Uh, I think it's more like a, a soft grey. A very, very light grey. A very light grey. No, it's fabulous, darling. Um, yeah, I'm back. I, uh, I came back a little little while ago. A little while ago. Wasn't deceased, you lied. Oh, yeah, I'm a terrible you human being. You told them that I died. Yeah, well, as mentioned um, previous episode, we can only have one host on... Uh, so one of us will only survive for nine episodes at a time. Yeah. Um, so but I can come back. Three days can later. Can you though? <laughs> well, if Jesus can do it, like, come on. Can you though? <laughs> no, but I, I reckon. I mean, you do it. have the hair for it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm back. Yeah, he's back. I'm yeah. back. Uh, yeah. Did you catch anything on your New Year's Christmas break? Dad said I probably only went to the cinemas once, and that was to see the Star Wars movie, which I was a bit like. Yeah, it was. I don't. I mean, I don't really care about Star Wars, really. I just go to. I went to see it for the cultural conversation, and there's a big part of me that's like. I just don't care. <laughs> but it was just like no, no. But it's like I really like the 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 one that came before it, the the one that everybody, the Last Jedi, that one, mm. and the Flips Force Awakens. Flipped a bloody genre on its head, mate. Like I liked those two; they were fine. And then before going to see this one, I'd seen the critical response, and it was you know it was. 
it was in the middle, but in, in, as, in as far as what people expect of Star Wars and what they want Star Wars to be, it was in the gutter. You know mm. what I mean? It was it was alongside... In the trenches. In the trenches. Oh, that, 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 I did see something that involves trenches. You Ooh. probably already know what it is from that description. But um, I thought it was going to be, like, you know, garbage. And then I watched it and it was a bit like... Man, it's 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 a, it's about exactly what I thought it was. What a Star Wars fan exactly. like expect. It's, it's like just a kids' movie about space wizards, and I'm yeah. just like, yeah, it's I, like, fine. Oh, it's, I, I, it's I don't dumb. know. I left it going like oh, that was a fun time, but then also like, man, people are fucking whinges. I know. I'm like, like I honestly do not care. I'm like, this whole bloody scenario does not make sense. Like, I mentioned this to Jake uh, on last episode. It's like. Emperor Palpatine, you know, the opening kind of scroll, it says, uh, Emperor Palpatine's back. And I'm just like, okay, cool, whatever. I'm like, I don't need to know how he came back. I don't need to know how he spreads his seed across the galaxy and stuff like that. I'm yeah, just I like, don't need to know that either. I'm just like, I really... That paints a very disconcerting <laughs> image, Jesse. I'm just like, I don't really care. I'm just... Uh, it's nice to see him back. I think, though, you can you can quite clearly tell... That there has been no at the offset uh, story making decision in as far as okay in this movie this is going to happen in the mm. second movie this is going to happen in the third movie this is going to happen. It was just kind of uh, we'll just throw it in and see what happens. Well, you get you do get the impression that every boat like each person where you've got JJ uh, Ryan Johnson and then JJ again you get the feeling that they've started with a clean slate each time. Yeah, and I think it yeah. would have paid fairly well to to at the Map start they're like okay we've got a trilogy. This needs to happen. Almost use it like, like you know, um, have an arc that's that's based around the three act structure, where each of them have their own three act structure. A hero's structures. journey. A hero's journey, and it sort of feels like it. it there's too many. The fact that there's um, so many things that happen in one movie that is then negated by the subsequent movie on the basis that that the the person who then took over was like, no, I'm going to do my own thing, mm. makes it feel like there's just too many like right turns yeah like unnecessary I guess it's kind of a product of J.J. Abrams' style he like he likes to be quite twisty and well it's not even the twisty things it's it's kind of like the the things that are negated Mm. so I saw the Star Wars the Star Wars I saw saw the I was about to call it The Last Jedi speaking of well actually just before we go into that I I remember seeing somewhere I think it was the very first script for A New Hope Mm mm-hmm had some really long ass title where it was like Journal of the Wills, the blah 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 blah, and then it was colon the Star Wars. Um, that was the only time I went to the cinemas, but I watched a lot of things on the television. On the TV. Um, I watched a few. I'm not going to go through them all because there was a lot. Obviously, you said I had trenches before. Oh, that's oh fuck! Forgot about that. Um, that was once I came back. I saw 1917. Oh, okay. And I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh. It feels very Spielbergian, okay. and like my, we came out of it. My old man was like, "Oh, you know, I think if the Americans did it, they would have done it. You know, a little more, a little more glammed up." And I was like, well, yeah, "It's an American movie. Like yeah. it is. It is. American it is an American movie. Yeah." And it, and it does. And I, then I looked, and it's like produced by Spielberg, and, it, and then it makes total sense that it's got this. Like it's quite an adventure, questy kind of. Um, uh, Plight, like it's very nearly Lord of the Rings in terms mm. of uh, trying to reach A to B, yeah. and it is it does play out nearly in in real time, but somehow um, keeps things progressing I, quite, yeah, quite I've, sufficiently. I've 
Have Been you seen meaning it? to check it out. I'm not really in a hurry though, because like, I don't know how I feel about films that make a big deal about them being all in one take. I it think there's times where there are falters. I feel like movies like that generally are a little bit kind of wanky and a little bit like, oh, look, at look, this is cinematography. Like, to be honest, as, though, a, as an editor, I really appreciate a good edit. I love a good cut. I love a good I cut. I love a cut, man. Um, I, I love lo- a fade to I, black. I love a good montage. Yeah. And so when a film decides, oh, screw editing and we're just going to make it all one take, I'm kind of like... Yeah, but sometimes you'd need to cut. But it's weird that having seen it and, and, you know, reflecting on it afterwards, the thing that sticks in my mind is not the one-takiness of it. It's more individual uh, landscapes and scenes and moments, and you almost forget that it's in one one take, which is probably for the best. If you were sitting there, you know... Um, Thinking that it's in one take. Yeah, and, yeah. and looking for, for all the times that they've cut, because it's... It obviously is not really in mm. one take. It's an assemblage of a number of takes and yeah. uh, very cleverly made to look like it's one take. It focuses on two soldiers who are given a given a task to go from A to B to del- deliver some news to call off a um, a, a push over mm. into no man's land, and then they are uh, the British intelligence suggests that it's actually a German pull to um, to coax them into a false sense of security, thinking that they can attack. Um, when in actual fact they're ready for the the Germans on that are on the other side waiting for them, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they think yeah. that the Germans are sitting ducks, quote unquote, but the Germans are actually there, like you know, ready to have ready a go to have at it. them. Yeah. And so they the telecommunications are down, I think, um, or it won't get there soon enough. And so these two guys have to traverse the Somme to reach uh, where this where this push is going to happen. Um, and in that way, a lot of the time, that like it's just them on their own and they're talking, and you get a good you get a good sense of that of that friendship. But then there are moments when they encounter people who are significant, not just in rank, but in in to, in a story position, and it does become a situation like those two, the guys that play those two, uh, the two central characters, and I can't remember their names. They're relatively unknown, I believe. I hadn't seen them before. I might might just be really ignorant. One of them is in True History of the Ke- Kelly Gang. That's right. Which I have is seen a that. Yeah. Australian film, I seen which the movie, is coming out yeah. next week. Which I on understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We <laughs> could even do that. Even do you think that people would have seen it by then? Because it's been quite publicised. I went to the cinemas last night. That's the. I said I've been to the cinemas once. <laughs> I went last night. What did you see? What the fuck? I'll get there in a minute. Yeah. But um, what I was going to say was, is there something that re- really egregious happens in 1917 where you spend a lot of time with those two guys, including the guy that's in uh, True History of the Kelly Gang, yeah. and then they encounter someone who's really pivotal to their to their plight, but then in that way also pivotal to the story, and it's like, okay, who are they going to meet? Mm. And usually you see them from behind with, like, their back turned, and then they're like, oh, Colonel, and they'll turn around and it'll be Colin Firth, <laughs> or it'll be Mark Strong, you get two Kingsmen. There's a, who else is in there? Benedict Cumberbatch. And it was, and, like, it's each time one of these people arises, it's like, oh, there's the star power of this oh, movie, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but having said that, you get, because they're constantly on the move, and mm. you, get the, you get them arriving at new people, and these people have uh, a little a fair bit of screen time but in the scheme of things minimal compared to the main the main two yeah um, they get about I think Colin Firth literally is probably only in the movie for about seven minutes but chews it up and um, 
aside from it kind of feeling like a sitcom-y kind of, oh, look who it is, <laughs> um, they do get a fair bit to do. And there's the most poignant of them, which I won't reveal, um, I'll reveal who it is, but I won't give the context, um, is Richard Madden, who's we saw earlier last year as... Uh, what's oh, yeah, Rocketman. Rocketman. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he is John... He is a Rocketman. He's, he's uh, John Reed. Again, he's probably got about five minutes, but for me, nearly stole the movie just because it was... It was that that perfect thing of he, he he's he's someone his role is someone in power in amongst the in amongst the, the, uh, the yeah. <laughs> but, you know he he's in charge and he's sort of his job therefore is to sort of keep a straight face in the face of some of that the more ugly components to to the battles and the 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 illness and the war in general yeah but then he's delivered some really awful news and he and he just toy like uh balances this fine line of still trying to maintain his his uh his strength and his stiff upper upper lip but obviously he's finding it so hard to make to, to deal with this news and oh it was it was really good it was really good and he sort of and you see him sort of breaking up and he but he's still trying to be really strong about okay. it okay that was yeah. really potent i thought that uh, but potent it was really oh, potent i, yes, lo- I for, love that word but amazing it was very potent very potent um but then last night Did- i saw go on you can ask me a question Sam Mendes, which which of the Bond movies did you Casino do again? Casino Royale and I think something else. Didn't you do Skyfall? Might have done. I think he might have done. I think he did Skyfall. I don't know. He Who was he married to? Kate Winslet. For a time he was married to Kate Winslet. Oh, really? I don't think okay. they were on Did not know that. Yeah. And uh, the director of the movie that I saw last night for a time was married to Madonna. Ah. Yeah. So, wait, what was this movie you saw last night? The Gentleman. So Guy Ritchie used to be married to Madonna. Oh, is that the one where it's like they made the poster out of like a weed? Um, it makes sense that there might be a poster that we, in which weed is involved because that's there is weed a po- is central all to the I remember plot, is just seeing like it. some weed poster. All the all the posters that I've seen of it look like they're trying to recreate the Kingsman posters. Yeah, that Including one, too, yeah. one that's like all of the all of the, the names of the, the cast and it is a star studded uh, lineup. And then at the very bottom there's like uh, a whiskey glass and yeah, the ice the right. ice is in the shape of a gun. Yeah. So Guy Ritchie movie, the first of his Returns to say, I think, sort of returns to normalcy. Normalcy, I suppose, in a way, because he made his name with like you know, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and uh, Snatch, and you know, East End gangster movies, mm. East End of London gangster movies, and, and his last two movies, Aladdin, and have been Aladdin and the the King, King Arthur, Arthur ones. Legend yeah. of David Beckham coming <laughs> in and going, "Hello, mates." Oh, to be fair, he did do this. wasn't a bad movie. Um, Man from Uncle, the Man from Uncle. That was yeah, that's a little bit underrated. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. And that came out. The, that came out the year of the spy as well. There was Kingsman kicked it off. There was a Man from Uncle. There was the Melissa McCarthy spy movie. Wasn't just, just called Spy. And wasn't there a Bond movie too? The, that was the Spectre came out. Spectre, yeah. And it was weird. Like it was. Like, there were five spy movies. Four, like yeah, just all bunched together. Um, but like we said, Guy Ritchie movies sort of going back into the terrain of gangsteriness. Um, this time involving a very prominent American character in a sort of fish-out-of-water UK setting. Um, not fish-out-of-water in the sense that he's incompetent, but, you know, he's he very, he very much toys with the fact that this guy, in the form of Matthew McConaughey, is uh, all right, Mickey. All right, all right, all right. 
literally okay this is really this is does he actually say no he doesn't but but what he does do i think is is probably not going to get the recognition does it deserves but i think it was really skillful he he plays a guy called mickey who's running this really uh prosperous marijuana business across across london and he's approaching middle age he's he's i think i believe he arrived in the uk as a as a, a working class american boy who was given a scholarship to, I think, Oxford or Cambridge, one of these big universities, but he was really intelligent, and then made his name on campus dealing drugs, soon got himself in a situation where he had a, a massive empire across the UK to the point that, you know, everybody in the underworld knew who he was, and he was, he was a big name on the, on, the, on the scene, so to speak. But he's approaching middle age, and he feels like he wants to sell his business, and the, and the crux of the movie is dealing with who's going to buy it from him, because they know that it's... That it's um, obviously quite lucrative and a war I'm not going to go into it because it gets really really complicated but like, it'll be like assessing how dominoes fall but essentially yeah. a, a, an underground war evolves out of this situation of, of people trying to trying to to bargain for his for his industry okay but yeah. what I was going to say you were mentioning his alright 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 Obviously, Matthew McConaughey's got a super iconic voice. You like, you know, without even it's it's one of those things. You know that meme? It's like, tell me you can't hear. There's certain pictures you can't hear. Yeah, oh yeah. Certain, like, pictures you can hear. It's just one. a picture of him. Yeah. Look at his face. You, you can hear his voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? But and I think this is really clever because I, I can I imagine it's very hard to do. But the context of his character is that he's been living in the UK for a, a fair amount of his life, but he's from he's from like Southern States America. So there are moments where that that southern twang does come out and usually it's in moments of extreme violence where he's throwing his weight around and he suddenly goes into full-blown trailer <laughs> uh, you know southern drawl but for the most part he's got he toys a line it's almost like an international accent yeah it's not his usual accent it's like it's american right the way through but then there are certain words that are pronounced with an english accent and not in an egregious kind of like what's the third time i've said egregious, egregious. this podcast Jesus Christ. You should start a counter. Counter, yeah. Drink every time I say egregious. Yep. Hold on, let me get the wine out again. <laughs> um, and you get the impression, like, it, like through that accent, you, they really firmly plant the seeds of the fact that he's he's been there for a, a lot of his life and he's starting to lose the American accent. And there are, mo- there, there are you know, there are bits of English dialect that he's, that he's picked up um, and that rub off in the, in the form of the way that he speaks. Um, and I think that was a really expertly executed uh, delivery and something I don't think is going to get the credit that it should, partly because at the minute it's not been greatly received by critics, but it's done really, it's really January, well. With... January film. <laughs> but it's strange because uh, like, I saw it with a group of friends and they all really enjoyed it and a lot of, there are a few, a few critics really like it. I think Margaret Pomeranz, who I do listen to because, you know, nostalgia, yeah. um, gave it a really good review. But the the audience scores, for the most part, have been really appreciative of it. Mm. It is quite funny. It's not ultra-violent. It's relatively safe in the scheme of things. But honest to God, I think the the major pull that I sell to people for this movie is the character played by Hugh Grant. Now, oh, wait, he's in it? He's in it. So who's who's in it? You've got that Charlie Hunnam guy. Is it Charlie Hunnam? Char- yep, yep. Is from that how you say it? Charlie Hunnam from... Um uh, King Arthur. King Arthur. 
That and he's in. Be. I think he's in uh, Green Street Hooligans as well. If you've ever seen that with no, the white people, no. it's about like football firms and football hu- hu- hooligans. Football hooligans. Yeah. yeah. Football hooligans. Dude, we shouldn't be broadcasting. Things. We, we can't talk. Like we, we cannot we, speak. We cannot talk. We should just pack <laughs> up, go home, and have a nap. Have a nap. Have a nap. But, uh, Charlie Hunnam, Colin Farrell's in it. Very not oh, briefly, but yes. he does. It's strange. He does come in quite late in the movie to the point that when he does arrive, you're kind of like, oh, I forgot he was in this. <laughs> um, who else is in it? Eddie Marzan has a role. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, like I said, and I think that's about it, to be honest. But um, the the major selling point, or the, my major selling point for people, would be Hugh Grant, because it seems like. We're obviously, you're familiar with him from like Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, Notting Hill and that kind of thing. Yeah, the lot. He, he sort of set himself, whether it was him or whether it was just the things he was getting cast in, but you know, he very quickly became, in his own way, an archetype. Like yeah. if you said, oh, it's like Hugh Grant in this, it doesn't in, matter what movie you're talking about. In a 90s about. movie. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you know what character that is. Yeah. And in this kind movie... Kind of foppish. Yeah, but, you, but usually quite charming and yeah. likeable. That's usually the that's usually the thing that his you get His hair was probably reflective of his yeah. personality. Just With the like exception floppy. of um, Bridget Jones. I don't yeah. know if you've seen Bridget Jones, but yeah. he's, a, he's an arse in Bridget Jones. Yeah. That, not literally. He doesn't play an asshole. Like he doesn't play a, like a walking bum. What a movie that would be! Starring Could you imagine Hugh that? Grant just like as an asshole. Just like one of those, you know, those deep fakes. But like someone just put like an ass right where his face is. I'd watch that movie. Um, but in this movie, he is at once really unlikable and um, but really engaging and funny. Okay. In the form of a really seedy, wiry, quite weaselly tabloid journalist who sort of acts as the framing device for the whole movie. He, he at the very beginning, goes to visit Charlie Hunnam's character and tells him that he's been uh, spying on, on him and his boss, who's Matthew McConaughey, and knows all of, all of their goings-on and knows what's been happening behind the scenes. And essentially, the, the way in which the plot is espoused is via... Hugh Grant giving to Charlie Hunnam his summation of what what their dealings have been. However, where he introduces his um, his deal to the Charlie Hunnam character is him saying, "I've got all of this information for you. I will not go to go to press with it if you give me some money. Um, but I do also have a script that I've written, which is based off of your antics." Ah. And so it then becomes him re- relaying to Charlie Hunnam's character what's happening in this script in a very kind of seven psychopaths-esque, uh, at times giving way to Hugh Grant's character's embellishments um, and noted artistic liberties where, you know, he'll he'll describe something that he's got in the script and it plays out on screen. It'll be really ridiculous. And then Charlie will be like, no, it didn't happen like that. And he's like, I can be afforded some artistic liberties. <laughs> but I thought that was a really clever framing device. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, he, he's probably the funniest thing in the movie, but also the most unlikable, which is strange. It's a, it's a strangely unique situation where you get someone who's at once so repellent but so engaging. And I think that that's among the many reasons that you should see this movie. Interesting. I mean, it's kind of... It was... I mean, as a movie, I know that it's not great, but it's entertaining. It's... it's it's It does its job. It does its job. It's a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. It's Guy Ritchie... It's got some edits. 
It's gonna, <laughs> yeah, it's none of this, none of this nineteen seventeen Sam Mendes shit. Yeah. There is a few montages. It's got a good soundtrack. There's okay. like Roxy yeah. music. There's the jam, and there's that that song by that German group Can. I can't remember the name of the song, but if you, when you hear it, you'll know exactly what I mean. Okay, it's a notable song. Yes. What have you been watching? Sorry, I've been going on far. I looked at the clock. I'm like, man, do I shut up? No. Go on. What have you been watching, Jesse? Well, as mentioned on last episode, I had actually... There was, there was about a week where I just... I went to the cinema, like, almost every single day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I caught up on a heap of stuff. Um, I'm literally just going to breeze by all through this because it's already been mentioned. So um, I told Jake that I watched Portrait of Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. I watched Jojo Rabbit. I watched... Cats, and I watched uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what I will discuss about is I saw, finally, it took me, like, I waited so long for this movie. Sean the Sheep 2, Farmageddon. Oh, no, I actually haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm really like, keen to see that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be good. Next episode, here yeah. we go. Um, <laughs> I actually caught for the very first time the 2019 noir horror film The Lighthouse. Oh, really? Yes, I saw that at an outdoor cinema, and I was a little bit worried because my track record with outdoor cinemas has been not that great in the past. I once actually got rained on before, <laughs> and they didn't cancel the movie either. Yeah, <laughs> we were I just sitting there watching a movie. I mean, it usually only happens in summer here, obviously. Yeah, no, but it was in summer. That's it was, so It weird. was December, and we're watching a movie called Cold War, and it starts raining. Are you sure that wasn't like a 4D experience they imposed? See, that's what like I was thinking. Hose. And then I, uh, so I, I said to Jake last episode, like, what, what I was hoping for this is that if there was one movie that I would like to get rained on, it would be The Lighthouse. And then I hope that, like, Willem Dafoe was, like, standing in the corner somewhere, like, throwing lobsters <laughs> at me or something like that. And it's only till after watching the movie there's actually a ref... There's, he has a line about lobsters that, like, when I listened back to that previous episode, I had a bit of a chuckle to myself because <laughs> I was like, I did not know what I was like. <laughs> the, weirdly enough, I've been, I've been quite... Unless it's a movie that I'm really, really looking forward to, if I can avoid it, I won't watch a trailer for something. Okay. So the first time that I saw the trailer for The Lighthouse was yesterday when I went to the cinemas. Oh, okay. And, it, and it, did, it did grab it me. It piqued your curiosity. I'd heard about it. Obviously, because you know, in, in the circles, it's remix. a cinephile's movie. Yeah, it's that kind of yeah. thing, and I, and yeah. it's it's you always get complacent about that. Oh, have mm. you seen the trailer for this? It's like no. Yeah, I saw it on my feed. I swiped right by it. Unless it's something that I'm really, mm. really looking forward to, I won't watch it. I am um, so. <laughs> Uh, I think it's. I think it is in that very first trailer. There's a moment where where the montage, like the the, the edits, start to get quicker and quicker, mm. and the music builds up and all that. And it's got a um, it's got a critic review on it. And it says something along the lines of like cinema at its heart and soul kind of thing. And when I watched the trailer, I'm like. Man, that's a bit of a bold claim kind yeah. of thing. But there, then, was, there was there was a lot in the uh, just while you're on that. Yeah. There was one that was something like cinema that will rock you to the core. Yeah, or something yeah, like. yeah. And I so was like, it was Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So it was that pull quote, and I was thinking like, man, that's that's a bit of a stretch kind of thing. Like yeah. that's a bold claim. And then after walking out of this movie, I was like, cinema will <laughs> rock you to the you core. I was just chest. like, I was like. No, that like that that pull quote was was correct. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. It is a whirlwind of a movie. It is like it is 
somehow okay I'm not going to go into any plot details of yeah. this I'm going to try because be... it kind of left it bare in the trailer I got the impression like do you know what it reminded me of I don't know if you're familiar with it the um it reminded me of something like Waiting for Godot I have not I think it's I've a, heard of a, that it's like do you know Samuel Beckett the play he was like an absurdist playwright from I think early 20th century uh, yeah I think so, so and, and name he, rings a bell he, I think I might have mentioned him when we were talking about uh, what was it one of the movies we talked about in the past I can't remember um, that was that was a good bit of audio <laughs> for me it was Lachlan thinking uh, um, but the, the Waiting for Godot is essentially about two tramps waiting at a bus stop and it's I think it's two acts and it's just what happens to them while they're at the bus stop and there was a moment in that trailer where they say something like oh how long have we been on this island how long have we for? been on this rock yeah that it was like that and five it, months and both and me two and my looked at each other and we were just like oh that's kind of like you know what we did in drama in year 12 <laughs> like that's like that waiting for Godot it is oh my gosh it is like without going into it it is a movie that somehow both made like it is both terrifying gross disgusting kind of funny and also kind of homoerotic do you know what it reminded me of by the trailer it had an air of the Kevin Smith movie Tusk about it yeah it really does the very vague elevator pitch for this movie is it's essentially two seamen uh insert (laughs) (laughs) can we keep that in can we please because what happened there was Jesse did say seamen I knew exactly what he meant, but it almost looked like he was about to throw up in his mouth because he, as the the phrasing like played back in his head, two seamen. That was good. I want a photo of your face when you did that. Two two men of the sea. Right. They two sperm. Oh fuck no. They take a job up uh, as a lighthouse keepers in I think it's like the 18th century, early 18th century. They all speak in like ye olde kind of language, very similar to how they spoke in The Witch. And I'm pretty sure they even make a reference to um uh New England at one stage. It's kind of like, like the old Greg episode of the Mighty Boosh. You haven't seen I have that? not seen that. My bad. <laughs> there are probably people out there that have. That's yeah. that's for you. Yeah, Go probably. On. But they speak. Yeah, they all speak in ye olde English, and it's just the it's Willem Dafoe and it's Robert Pattinson, and they're just looking after this lighthouse for a couple of weeks, and it's just them interacting with each other, trying to like uh, get by and get the job done, and they're just trying to. Yeah, not go insane, essentially. <laughs> yeah, it did, it did seem like it was almost light on plot, but then high on, on uh, style. And not, 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 no, not to say that... Didn't mean that in a damning way. I haven't seen the movie. But it did look like it's there was a very, lot of... Um, it, it's very... A mood piece, if you will. Yeah, it's very stripped back. It's very contained mm. for something that is set in the past. Usually historical pieces, they tend to make it all big and quite, you know, or like in 1917s where it's like, oh, we're going to so many locations and all that and it's just going to be this big epic. This is just like, I'm pretty sure this was shot like only over a couple of weeks and they just like built a little lighthouse in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And uh, could almost be, could almost be similar. You could describe it as similar to the film we're going to talk about this week. Quite possibly. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it is. It features a fantastic performance from both of them, particularly mm. Willem Dafoe. He, I don't know how he does it. He, 
Oh my I god! I don't know like, how he does like, it. I am so annoyed. This guy is not getting nominations as for in like any of the major awards um, circuit because like this guy he he has an iconic monologue in it that I've I've been rewatching the clip like. 50 times on YouTube because, you know, Americans have it on Blu-ray now, so they've uploaded clips of it online. They've got it on Blu-ray already. Yeah. What the fuck? I know. Our our release schedule was, like, annoying. I'm just going to order it online then. Well, fuck <laughs> that. No, I thought it was, like... To be honest, like, you've mentioned The Lighthouse to me, like, midway through last year, probably. Yeah. Like, not as something that you'd seen, but you're like, oh, this, this is out. Or it's, yeah. I think at, at that time it would have been doing soon, yeah. festival circuits in the US. Yeah. Really, we're only getting it now, and it's we're like oh, only yeah, getting it now. Yeah, I'm just ordering it online. <laughs> no, um, it is coming out at Luna. I think it's in about a week or two. Um, okay, so it will get a wide release. But um, yeah, it uh, he he's got an amazing monologue. He um, he literally like to put it into perspective, the man literally delivers a monologue while having dirt shoved into his mouth and he delivers it with bloody <laughs> precision and he's just oh my gosh I love Willem Dafoe but I when the trailer started and, and I, I got an inkling of what it was and he, he does a voiceover I was a bit like okay which one of these two characters is this what, which one of these two performers is this because is this? it sounds like it neither. could be Robert yeah, I was like, it yeah. sounds like yeah. not it doesn't sound like how I know Willem Dafoe sounds like mm. And it doesn't sound like Edward Cullen. So who is it? And then the process of elimination. When yeah. I realised that it was Willem Dafoe, it kind of reminded me of those sequences in the first um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man film where you know he's looking into the mirror and it's him talking to. Oh, and it's him cackling. An incarnation and yeah, yeah. of the yeah, uh, or like an effigy of the the. Mm. Green Goblin side of his psyche, obviously. Godspeed, Spider-Man. It reminds me of that. And, and it's not to say, like, obviously that's like an American kind he of... He does actually have, like, some really good scenes where he's cackling away, and it's just, like, I, I had major nostalgia for, like, mm. the first Spider-Man movie where he's just going, ah, ah, ah. My, my, like, uh, signature sound bite from that movie is is MJ and I are going to have a hell... I'm not going to do the impression... MJ and I are going to have a hell of a time. Just because I remember th- hearing that when I was younger and thinking, what does he mean? What, what is he, he going to do to <laughs> is her? Is this like, code? Because then he like pulls out like a big knife. Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> They're not having a hell of a time. That's not nice. No. <laughs> then, he, then, he, then he dies. Yeah, and then he dies. Yeah, so definitely would recommend this movie. I, um, it was... It is like had me on the edges of my seat. It is a m- just it's got so much going on in it. Um, surprise, like I said, surprisingly quite funny for a movie that the subject matter. I did not think I'd be laughing as much as I would in well, this you've kind got an of movie. Sense of humor. I really do. Remember that time we saw a dog get run over and you laughed? Oh yeah, I remember that time. It it's a, a good re- day for you. Distressing. It was and just the. I, I guess I also really appreciate the mythology of it. Like, he's... Robert Eggers, um, with this and The Witch, he really delves into a lot of research. Uh, you know, he he's made these two period pieces, and both of them, you know, he's actually looked into and done a lot of research on lore and, and, and like, almost f- fables and stuff like that of... of, of Nautical culture, yeah, just nautical culture and stuff like that. Um, he's read up. He, he, you get kind of shades of um, H.P. Lovecraft in this, 
Um, I feel like that's a spoiler now. Does a giant squid come into play? Mm. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, I mean, t- like, tonally, you get a bit of HP Lovecraft okay. in there. Tonally, you get some squid. <laughs> some tonal squid. Yeah, tonal squid. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something like a seafood menu. <laughs> Tonight, we have the tonal squid. <laughs> In a, in a red wine sauce. And one of the best parts about it is it's all in, um... Is it 4 by 3 I'm terrible oh, I've, at... Aspe- I've, I've got a rock on for a 4 by 3 I'm joking. No, I, I'm, I'm terrible at aspect ratios. I did ratios. see that. I think that, it's 4 by 3 The trailer three. does... does. It's just all cropped. Yeah, cropped. And you... Borders ju- on the... On the, the sides. Wide sides. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it just... It reached a point about halfway through where just... Things just go out of control, and I was like, I just love this movie. I'm like, I like, I just had the biggest grin on my face. <laughs> I was like, this is absolute insanity. That's kind and of, I love yeah, it. I, I mean, I'm sort of at the point with movies, like, if, if it's good, regardless of whether it's a good movie or it's a bad movie, if something does something that I don't expect, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of the time you get into situations where you and like you know marvel movies that they've yeah. got there are certain marvel movies that give you things that you don't expect mm. but i think one of the things you can almost give barrack for in a, or like guarantee in a marvel movie is yeah. that the last half hour is going to be a fight probably yeah. chances yeah. are yeah. good and bad are going to come head to head and, and mm. you know if i could same with like things like slasher movies last half hour is going to be cat and mouse oh yeah thing. exactly so if things yeah. start to divert and give you things yeah. that you're not expecting at all i'm like yeah even if i don't really like the movie come the end of it if it's mm. engaged me with oh, I, I have no idea what's going to happen next yeah. i think is is yeah what i well, you can for. kind of see where this movie goes but it is regardless of how well you can predict it it's like it is a really fun ride from start to finish mm-hmm. um don't think i'd say it's everyone's cup of tea there will be it is quite confronting in parts um like i wouldn't show my grandma this <laughs> um there is a cheeky seagull too so is that the thing you wouldn't show your grandma Oh uh, yeah, the cheeky seagull. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Does he just walk around going "fuck you"? <laughs> just super cheeky. Just a it's real, just so cheeky. real cheeky seagull. Can't handle it. But yeah, would recommend the lighthouse. I know we were like one of the last countries to get it, mm. but um, yeah, it's fantastic. Check it out. Speaking of cinemas and Australia, you've got an awful segue habit. I have an awkward. It's it's awful like segue I didn't habit. mean to sound so angry about it either. I apologise, <laughs> but I did realise because I listened to to last week's, and usually I listen to things when we're editing them, and when I'm listening to them when I'm when I'm editing, I'm not I'm not an audience member. I'm there yeah, going okay. You're editing. Yeah, yeah, I'm like okay that that audio sounds shit. I fuck up there, like, you know, mm. you might not realise this, but we flub our lines, so to speak. A lot. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll mess something up or, or our, uh, our train of thought will go off or we'll stumble. We edit it seamlessly to make it look like we're really articulate, but boy, <laughs> like, you know, it takes us five hours to record this for the number of things we have to repeat. But, you know, when I'm rec- when I'm editing, I don't, I don't sort of... I haven't got an audience hat on. Yeah. I was listening to the last one. And I really got into it. I really enjoyed it. But then I re- you did a segue that I was like, when you said, speaking of, I was like, oh, here we go. He's going to make a really witty connection. And it was like something totally unrelated. And I was like, hang on, he does that even when he's with me. It's like, have you caught that from someone? I don't know. I just... Did someone sneeze? Yeah. Quite possibly. My goodness. Anyway, so speaking of, um, I, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you 
I'm going to give you a jumping off point. Yeah. It's going to be as unrelated because I know where you're going. We're going to talk about the movie of the week. Yeah. I'm going to give you a subject. You have to try and make a <laughs> make a segue out of it, okay? Jump into the film of the week, you mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Squid. So, speaking of squid... No, no, so you have to start speaking about squids. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I had a good bit of squid at the weekend. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of um, the weekend and... Fuck <laughs> you! <laughs> All right. That was sneaky. That was, no, but that was actually clever. That was clever. Speaking of the weekend right. and eating food... Um... <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> wait, okay. Squid. Full stop. Squid. Full stop. <laughs> Always oh, thinking. Speaking of things coming to a close. <laughs> That's it. You're too good. Okay. You're too good. Give me one more. Okay, uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Mammoths. Speaking of things that should have been gone long ago. <laughs> I don't know. That one was terrible. That was terrible. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Uh, Can we edit that last twisties. one? Twisties. Speaking of party foods. There we go. Yep, yep. Yeah. We watched Don's Party. Twisties the movie. Twisties the movie. Um, We watched Don's Party. Don's Party. I've seen it before. You I hadn't, hadn't. I believe. One of the many films I have not seen. I'm so... Like, I was watching it the this time around and I was getting really angsty about whether you'd like it or not. Because to be honest, I liked it less this time than I had done the previous occasions. And I was a bit like, is this the kind of thing that Jesse would like? So I was a little unsure. Mm. Um, but to introduce people that, that aren't familiar with it, I'm just going to... Play the trailer. Yeah, yeah, play. Hit, hit play. Here we go. Mal came and Jenny. Simon and Jody. Evan and Kerry, Cooley, Susan and Mac, the host and hostess. You're the one who throws these bloody parties. No, no, actually, actually, to be more accurate, it, uh, it was more of a dribble. Well, because I'd been tasting wine and eating cheese for days, the old sphincters didn't have anything solid to come to grips with. Let's face it, you had to choose between me and that... Fat stomach, melon breasted tart out there. October 25th, 1969, and the Australian public are taking to the ballot boxes to vote in the year's federal election, one that sees the Liberal Coalition's John Gorton go head-to-head with Labor's Gough Whitlam. Meanwhile, Don Henderson and his less-than-enthusiastic wife, Kath, prepare to host a house party for an assortment of friends, in which they'll receive the televised election results in the hope of a Labour victory. However, amidst forced pleasantries and communal twisties is an ample flow of alcohol, and soon all differences and shattered ambitions are brought to the fore. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, you, 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 when you get a group of people in a room in a, in a filmic situation, you, you usually you figure there's going to be conflict. There will be some conflict. I mean, imagine Hence if there was will roll. I mean, imagine if there was like a movie centered on a party or a dinner situation. Where it's just you know, it's just a nice time. It's just yeah. a nice event. Yeah, it's just a lovely event. Lovely event. Um, but Don's no. party, though. I, 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 I mean, I've got quite a story about how I came to to Don's party. Quite a story. Okay, um, let's hear it. 
let's do you first because you haven't. This is your first time. This is my first time. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, Don's party. First time watching it. I uh, really struggled to find a copy of this. I was going to say get through it. I was about to be like, <laughs> fuck. I um. Last re- time I recommend you anything. <laughs> I checked Stan first of all and wasn't on Stan. Then I checked Netflix. Wasn't on Netflix. I then went on to SBS, did not find it on there. After I told you it was. After you told me it was on SBS. Boy, did I feel like a douche. I then checked iTunes and it wasn't on there. And then I checked Mubi and it also was not on there. My last ditch effort, I somehow found it on Google Play for some reason. And I'm like... Okay, it was like a dollar ninety nine. What a fun joke it would have been for me to have just given you a movie that didn't exist. No, oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, go watch uh, uh, Catherine plays in the field. Oh, <laughs> that sounds really nice. I can't find it. <laughs> like, because I was watching this last night, essentially. I'm like, am I going to have something to talk about for this pod? <laughs> but it's strange because, like, I. Uh, I'll tell you how I came to it, but after having found out about it, it's strange the number of conversations that it comes in up, up in, comes in, and that it, that it's brought up in a discussion in terms of around Australian cinema. It tends to, it, it's not quite on the sidelines, but it's not the it's not one of the movies that people always point to as like. Uh, it's it's not a castle, but it's not that obscure yeah it's not that obscure it's, like it's almost weird middle particularly ground. now now it's quite culty i think at the time yeah. it was quite successful obviously it has a degree of star power to it um that we'll get into in a minute local star power these people you, you from overseas you, probably you, 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 you wouldn't have heard of them nah. um but uh someone like graham kennedy for for a time was considered like king of australian tv mm. back in the i think like 50s 60s 70s back in the day um but yeah, Don's party is, I think, is well, I know is often brought up when you discuss the, the new wave. Um, the film version was released in '75, I think. This this movie, '76, wasn't it? '76, '70. Let's have a go. I'm pretty certain I checked yesterday, and it was '76. Fuck, you're right. '76. '76. Boom. You got me. I got you good. You got me. Um, the original play was brought out in 1971 and was written by a dude called David Williamson. Now, I'm going to get into him in a minute. Yeah. But um, Right into him. Okay, so I, I came to Don's party while I was at school mm. in uh, year 11, I think, and I was a drama kid, like, about with 15 other people. He was people. a wee lass. I was a wee lass. I, I sat in the corner reading... Poetry and listen, listening to Roald Smith. Roll Dahl. <laughs> Wearing a beret, <laughs> rolling my own cigarettes. Um, but w- w- our cohort got given a script recommended by uh, another drama teacher who wasn't our main drama teacher, but it sort of said, oh, this would be great for like a group of boys to do. And she gave us a script called The Club, which was based around the dealings of an AFL club and took place solely in the boardroom in which you had the club president... I think I've heard of this one, yeah. I've probably mentioned it to you at some point, so I think that's something that we should do for the, for the podcast, and uh, I'll, I'll get into it because yeah. it, it does relate to Don's party. Um, uh, yeah, so just totally centred in a, you know, it's sort of a bottleneck scenario where the play is two acts, one location, kind of like, you know, a, a reservoir dogs pressure cooker situation yeah. where you've got, you know, the club president, uh, the new recruit, the, the captain, 
a, a spokesperson and sort of stand in for the for the players um, and all the inner dealings that kind of go on there. And I think I think I think the club's something that like we will do. So I'm not going to go too far into the plot, but it's all to do with a new recruit who's been quite. Uh, Recastrant in his in his dealings. At the same time, there's all these conflicts going on with, uh, in amongst all the other members. Sort of, uh, it's a strange it's a strange setup. In in that each time one of the characters leaves the room, it's almost like everybody in that situation turns on him. It's like a kind of kind of like the death of Stalin. Yeah. In fact, it's very similar to the death of Stalin. Okay. Um, yeah. In terms of power power plays and the like, but very interesting from for an Australian audience in the fact that it's taking place in a scenario that a lot of us would be at least familiar with uh, familiar with the culture of in the form of the AFL at the time when the, when the play and the, and the film was released there was a film at the club uh, it was called VFL um, but I, I was in a play of this at school in which I played a, I, I was the club president who in the film which came out a couple of years later was played by Graham Kennedy who's also in Don's Party um, but I got I was really taken by it just, in, just by the, the quality of the writing and the way it seemed to emanate a kind of Aussiness that wasn't too on the nose. It wasn't it wasn't, you know, uh cool yeah. hats and kangaroos. Yeah. And it was the, the the only way I can describe the quality of it is to say that, you know, you read the script and obviously I my introduction to it was literally as it was printed. I hadn't seen anybody perform and hadn't seen pictures of these people. But the effect that it had was reading like, you know, a couple of lines from the characters and you just like you knew who that person was straight away. Yeah. From from little uh, niche things in their phrasings to to certain bits of slang, you're like, okay, so he's from this background. He's from, you know, maybe he's from the the suburbs, and he's he's a little bit of an upper class thing, or you know, he's a, he's a little bit angsty. And it was just like all of that was just there in in the writing. So it was a, I became really really fond of the of the play. Mm. Looked into the movie, the chance that I got, and then got introduced to the world of David Williamson, who was the the writer, and who was also the the writer of. Don's Party, which was a play that he did prior to the club, um, and uh, like I said, was released in 1971, uh, and also made into a film, and as Jesse mentioned, came out in 1976. Um, at the same time, David Williamson is quite a prolific uh, screenwriter. He wrote Gallipoli. Oh, yeah, I think I... I watched that in like primary school or something like, everybody's like that. Everybody's watched it in primary school. Like everybody, like, like, like that's a rite of passage. Yeah. <laughs> like the... the um, with Mel Gibson, wasn't it? Mel Gibson and a really Aryan-looking fellow that I'm probably going to get shat on for not remembering the oh, name yeah. of. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his a lot of his works tend to be, I think, predominantly is known as a playwright. But then when they've made the transition into into film, he tends to contribute to the script. Uh, obviously, Don's Party being a derivation of a play by him, there are there are things in the play that are uh, in the film that are literally taken from the play. Um, I believe his first full-length play was called The Coming of Stork, which then became the film Stork with uh, Bruce Spence, who you know as the helicopter guy from uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, and he's yeah also Bruce in, Spence. He's yeah. also in Inspector Gadget too. Um, <laughs> um, and Jackie Weaver's also in that movie, and that was, that was uh, part of what is often referred to, or is at least referred to in the movie, not quite Hollywood, mm. as, you know, the... Uh, the Ocker wave. Stork, mm. Stork was part of the uh, Ocker Larrikin anti-hero cohort that was uh, pioneered by the likes of Alvin Purple, the the person who plays Alvin Purple is also in this movie, Don's Party, and uh, Barry McKenzie. Um, a film called Peterson was also uh, written by David Williamson that features 
Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson, obviously, it was also in the club yeah. um, and is known for Wake and Fright. It's sort of hard to, to gauge now as someone who's coming quite late to Australian cinema in the sense that a lot of the movies that, that are talked about as a seminal Australian films aren't things that were released in my lifetime. So it's sort of hard for me to place what would be Jack Thompson's major role. Yeah. In like, it's a little easy for someone like Graham Blundell, who's uh, in this movie. He's Simon, I believe. He's you know the the one with the pipe. Oh yeah, pipe it's easy guy. for him because he pipe guy. Yes, pipe, pipe guy. guy. <laughs> oh yes, pipe guy. Um, but he's he was previously known as for playing Alvin Purple, which which was a an ocker. Yeah. Uh, Film alongside, yeah, a lot, like a, a lot of these, a lot of these actors. I'm like, this is a little bit before my time, so I'm yeah. like, I don't know who a lot well, of I mean, these yeah, people there, are. There are people that I like. I know Graham Kennedy just because I remember when he passed away. I would have been in about year two, but I, on the news, he was talked about as like you know the king of Australian TV, and there was a little bit of man, I have no idea who this guy is. Yeah. And, and then on Foxtel, they had a whole like reruns of old content of his and then there was also a TV movie based around him in which he was played by Stephen Curry um, and that was sort of like a serious biopic dramatic turn for Stephen Curry where Stephen Curry was uh, also really noted for, for comedies and the like yeah but no I'm rambling unnecessarily but I came to Don's party through that after I did the club and I saw the club the, the film of the club I saw the, the film version of Don's party and was quite taken by the kind of movie it was in the context of its Australian production setting. Like, I, it was almost the revelation that, you know, you, you can essentially have Australian life as it is for Without the people that experience it. Pete to bash you over the head with yeah. a um, didgeridoo and a... Yeah. And, a yeah. and it was... And it was the, the plot and it's almost it almost feels like a disservice to use the word plot because you can all like like that that is it a party yeah. happens like last episode when mm. I was listening to you trying to uh, describe it to Jake obviously you hadn't seen it and yeah. you, you got onto the political mm. the political undertones but then you said or, or it could just be about a guy that throws a party I mean, <laughs> then you laughed about it and I was sitting there going he's not it far is about a party. <laughs> it is it's almost real time as well the movie's exactly. about one hour and 28 minutes, I think, on my DVD copy. Yeah. And it is literally, you know, it starts with them going to vote. They come in, and then, but then they start laying out the chips, laying mm. out the twisties, getting the beer arranged, yeah. tuning the TV. And then slowly, one by one, people start to arrive, and you stay there for the duration of the movie. It's almost like a Big Brother scenario, you, you know, that's like, you know, getting ants in a box and shaking them. Oh, yeah. Because... Yeah. Where, as we described in the introduction, Don and Kath are the hosts of this party. They're both adamant Gough Whitlam supporters. Yeah. They've brought in predominantly Don's friends, but then predominantly also... Predominantly uh, Labour voting people. Predominantly, <laughs> and also staunchly Labour voting people. Like, yeah. Staunchly. And a lot of them are Don's friends. The, the point is made that they're predominantly from, from uh, Don's friend circle. Kath seems to have a little bit of a... A little bit of discontent at that. She doesn't seem to like a lot of them, but then she's invited her own friends, and then they've also brought friends that a they couple share. Of but, libs. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of libs. But um, and then a, another group of friends who are um, not part of any of those friend circles. So you get situation. You get a situation where there are people who come to this party who know each other, but then also people who come to this party and don't, don't know each yeah, other and yeah. have quite. I mean, realistically, quite superficial differences. But given given the the nature of the moment, which is election night, and one in which I mean, we'll talk about the significance of of uh, a Labour victory in the context of this movie um, in relation to to these characters 
implied upbringing in a mm. moment, but where alcohol starts to flow and there's a lot riding on this on this election, yeah. when things start to not go their way, i.e. It's, it starts to look like John Gordon's going to win, mm. as he did, yeah. people start to... People start to bite each other's heads off exactly and that is where chaos ensues chaos ensues and you can see it without without like I, without reading the play you can see it how it would function as a play um, while I was away I picked up a, a collection of I've got it here with me actually oh he's I went, come prepared I, I came prepared I, I went to a second hand bookshop in Newcastle and, and I was this is one of the like we previously talked about doing Don's party unfortunately the first time I brought it up was the week that we were planning to do or we thought of doing 100 bloody acres and so I had in my head we can do 100 bloody acres or we can do Don's party and I said to Jesse okay I'm going to show you the trailers for each of these movies and pick which one excites you the most <laughs> now the trailer for Don's party is so like it's, it, it's uneventful. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, and, the, and there's not a lot of incident in the movie. It doesn't it's more about really exchange. sell the movie. In my it doesn't. Opinion. Whereas the trailer for 100 Bloody Acres is gunshots, blood spurting exactly. everywhere. So obviously the one I picked, yeah. 100 Bloody Acres. I I think I I liked Don's Party more than 100 Bloody Acres. I think Ooh, I think it's a better movie, and I Hot think take. I think there's more to like in Don's Party than there is in 100 Bloody Acres. But I think you'd have to be in a particular mood. If you were in a situation where you had to say, if you were throwing a real party yeah. and you said to your gathered friends, as I did a little while before I went away, um, let's watch a movie. We'll put on something fun. If I had the choice between Don's party and 100 bloody acres, I put on 100 bloody acres. Yeah. And I did in that situation. Like yeah. I think for Don's party, it's like, it's quite a mellow movie mm. where the characters aren't mellow. It's quite a, it takes its time and it does feel very play, uh, Based, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, but I, while I was away, I went to a secondhand books bookstore and came across this David Williamson Collector Plays Volume One, which I believe uh, includes his first five plays, which are The Coming of Stork, The Removalists, which is all, which also has a filmic adaptation, which I haven't seen but have now read the, the the script of Don's Party, Jugglers Three, and What If You Died Tomorrow. And for the most part, the 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 play or the the script for Don's Party is more or less the same to how it plays out in the movie, but there are moments in the movie where you go beyond the house. And what yeah. you get from the play is a setup where it's literally, you know, you're, as it's described in the stage directions, is you've got a living room through uh, from which you can also see the kitchen. And so where a lot of the, the interplay in the movie as well happens in the living room and the kitchen, um, there are moments where characters move off to the kitchen. I assume, you know, you go... Uh, uh, lights down on that section, but then they continue to mime, and then you just focus on like one hub of one hub of the stage, and that's you know a section of the living room. That character dies down, and then you go up to another part of the stage, and then these characters start up. Um, but in the context of the movie, it does jump around a little bit more. Like it starts with them going to vote. Uh, you see people leaving their points of origin to to go to Don's place, but then once you get to the to the house, you stay in the house. And I think now we're on the subject of the house. We've got to fucking talk about the house because, the, one, the movie does a very good job of giving you a, a strong sense of space and the geography of the location, but in terms of 70s kitsch, 
Oh, it's 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 very out there. It's the decor perfect. is just like, like in your face. You've got you got like stripes up on like the curtains or I mean, something like that. It's probably that. more appropriately mm-hmm. described as sixties kitsch because it's based in nineteen sixty nine, and I believe that like it's a real house. It's somewhere in Sydney, I believe, and it looks to be quite a quite a a relatively affluent I area. I kind of got a bit of a um. I don't know if you ever saw the Stefan Elliott film Swinging Safari. No, I didn't. Okay, Watch, watching that movie and then watching this, I was like, ah, it kind of felt like a bit of a... Yeah. Like, uh, Swinging Safari almost felt like a bit of an homage to this. And I swear that I've heard that reference. With that, yeah. um, the decor in it mm-hmm. as well, it felt like... It, it looks very visually similar. But it almost to, feels like the kind of location that you get in a Barry Humphreys Day Medina monologue where, you're like, you know, if you look at a lot of the content of, of his early work, it is predominantly Damon describing, uh, you know, living situations and driving humour from things that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I've got that in my house. Yeah. And it's like if you had no point of reference for what, if you were to read Barry Humphreys' Uh, monologues, and if you had no point of reference for what he was referring to, you'd say oh, Don's party. Look, look, look at that house in Don's party. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, like it's it's at once really is it, it's it, a product of its time. It's Let's quite, but that. it's quite glossy as well. Like there's a lot of leather, and mm. there's a lot of like there's a lot of gleam. It feels almost like it's it's trying to be a bit swinging. Yeah. You know, shaggy rug, that kind Ooh, of thing. Yeah, uh, bean bags and and uh, circular lights that are. Uh, almost striving to be space Why age. does it have so many beers? That's the real question. <laughs> I think it's just, it's just, like, I mean, to be honest, this movie is almost an anti-alcohol advert. Oh, yeah, Like, you exactly. know, I, to be honest, coming out of it, I had no desire to drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, it, you know... But, like, they are preparing... Like, I'm, there's only, like, a handful of them, and there's, like, so much alcohol. Yeah, I think that, I think... But the, the extent to which you do see them drink is pretty extensive, yeah, okay, fair, yeah. Not not in the context of it being gratuitous in the movie. I mean, I think a point is made that these characters. In fact, I think uh, Kath's uh, Kath's wife, Don Don's wife, Kath, even says where suddenly Don's taking interest in politics. She, she's like, well, it's just an excuse for a booze up. Yeah, and I think that's very telling of mainly Don's friends uh, and that and that circle that sort of becomes the main focus of the of of the film, um, into which the the uh, the wild cards that are. Friends that are predominantly Don's wives and the group of friends who aren't part of Don's circle then come into play and cause a little bit of friction. Um, like you mentioned, there's the Graham Blundell, Blundell character who's a, a lib supporter mm. and is or is more centre. He says that he, he, is about, he says that yeah, he's centre. Yeah, he's a little bit unsure. Yeah, but his his wife is a self-confessed right winger. Yeah, I think I believe she even says that at one point. And then you got the boyfriend of uh, I forgot the lady's name, the one that is a quote unquote socialist that comes in and has a bit of a um, tell you what. Let's do it in terms of the order of in which they arrive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Don and Kath. Don, Don and Kath Henderson yeah. are arranging the party. They're loading up on beer, as you mentioned. Don's tuning the TV. Bit of tension between the two of them. Yes. Yeah. By, by Kath's account, Don is seldom a good host. Yeah. He often just points them in the direction of the fridge. Yeah. Um... Why don't even help with the baby? They have it. Yeah, the, their baby's they've asleep. Got a baby. The yep. baby's asleep during all of this, and the inference is that while this party's going on, they've got to be extra careful not to wake the baby. Yeah. Um, the first to arrive to this party, I believe, are Simon and his wife Jody. Yeah. Simon is played by Graham Blundell. Yeah. 
Jodie is played by Veronica Lang. So the liberal slash kind yes. of centrists. Yes, that well, uh, Simon professes his centralist inclination, whereas Jodie says, "I'm a self-confessed right winger." Yeah, they are. They are the the two who are Cass's friends, and at the beginning. Don and Kath discuss whether there's going to be any friction between them and Don's friends where they are. Tensions are riding high because there's a lot riding on this on this election. Um, so you got Simon and Jody. After that is Mal and Jenny. Mal being a really close friend of Don's, Jenny being an almost repressed housewife mm. in the context of her relationship with Mal. Mal is in similar polit- of a similar political inclination to Don, but is also quite forthright, quite rude, quite boisterous uh, when he's... Quite sweaty, too. Quite sweaty. He's quite a greasy man. Yeah, I know. He, he kind of reminded me, in, in terms of appearance, of uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can say that. But it is weirdly quite clever with his words yeah and he uses he tries to use that to, to some effect later on and we'll get into that in, in a minute um but is quite standoffish to new people Simon tries to introduce himself he all turns the cold shoulder um next next the lone wolf in this scenario the only one who doesn't arrive with a partner Mac Oh, yeah, Mac. He, Played by Graham Kennedy. Yeah. My personal favourite of this whole assortment of ragtag. It's funny. I think it, that was probably one of my favourite characters as well. He, well he's, he's almost like the lovable loser, and mm. he arrives having... In a having hot just, pink shirt. Yes, and, yeah. and, and socks and sandals on. Yeah. Um, and he arrives having just broken up with his wife, and he is delivered... A... A... Pornographic image, a pornographic of, his image of his wife. And I forgot to mention, the pretense of their arrival at the party is that they bring a pornographic image. Yep. The only one that we... Sa- uh, no. So, Mal brings one and it's a copy of a drawing from Playboy? Yes, and then Mac Mac's one is a photograph that he's taken of his wife while they're still together that he's had enlarged and is quite proudly presenting to his friends in a kind of really mean-spirited, spiteful... Like, you get the impression yeah. he's trying to get back at her. Yeah. The thing that really caps off that whole situation was when he shows it to people and he says, you wouldn't take her for a librarian, would you? <laughs> um, but Mac enters and he's sort of the lovable loser of the group. You sort of feel that he's a little bit downtrodden by by the others. You know, maybe he's, it's because he's not as good-looking or he's a little bit he's a little bit goofy, but he seems, yeah. to be, seems to be a little bit put down by the other two where the other two are quite masculine. Yeah. Um, and especially seems to be quite put down when Cooley comes into play, but he comes in a, a little bit later. Next Nick is Kerry. Kerry. The artist and her husband, Evan. Evan. He is the socialist. dentist. He's the dentist. The dentist, the socialist. The hardcore socialist. Yep. And um, Kerry is the promiscuous artist. Yes. Who's had four exhibitions. Yes. Corrected after it's inferred she's had three. <laughs> who is... I think it's fair to say because it's, it's, it, it does not being sexist it does play a very vital part to the plot is incredibly attractive and suddenly becomes the figure of uh, everyone's attention everyone's yeah. attention mainly the, the married men in the yeah. situation um, later we see the arrival of Granger Cooley and his, and his new beau Sophie who is just 
turned 19 or something that's like right. that. That's right, she's just turned 19. In fact, when he discovers that, he seems to have a look of self-satisfaction about him. Yeah. At once the realisation that he didn't know that she was 19, but then also, oh boy, I got a 19 <laughs> He must be about mid-30s. But oh, yeah, I'll exactly. be real, he's played by a guy called Harold Hopkins, who's also in the, the film adaption of The Club, as is Graham Kennedy. But what a handsome devil. He is. He's a really handsome bastard. Yeah. Um, that's essentially everybody. Yeah. They arrive within the first 10 to 15 minutes. Tensions arise instantly between Mal and Jodie at the reali- at Mal's realization of a political. That she leanings. is a quote unquote libtard. Lib. <laughs> and it and it it escalates from there. Now that's the setup to the movie. That's ninety minutes of that happening. A lot of shit happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. I want to ask really quick now before we get too far into into the goings on of the film. Jesse, I brought this to you and I, I knew that you hadn't seen it. It's, it does hold quite a, a, a soft spot in my heart, but like I say, this time when I saw it, I'd seen it a few times previous. I didn't like it as much as I had the first couple of times. I did still very much enjoy it, but I think it had just sort of fermented in my mind as this uh, perfect Australian comedy, but then there were things that really grated me on this occasion. Uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was good just good Uh, I I thought it was quite entertaining I didn't think it was like super funny there was like moments where I kind of had a bit of a chuckle like for example towards the start there when they when he realizes he's dating someone who can't even vote kind of thing and he just has this look on his face he's like oh yeah um but yeah no it was I wouldn't say it was bad. I think Can it, I just say I'm actually very... really excited because I think this is the first time that we've had a situation where I feel like I like the movie a lot more than you do. Mm. It was like... I don't know. It didn't really impress me too much. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was fine. And if anything, like... I guess the one thing I mainly took away from it was, like, it felt a little bit too real in some parts in a sense that like it's more or less the 2019 Australian federal election in a nutshell in a way in a I weird, mean I think in that... a weird way it kind of is because like I I like I guess that's one thing I kind of identify it with like getting around with like all my mates and being like, oh, you know, there's no way, like, uh, the uh, Liberal Party's getting in. Like, you, you know, they're absolutely done for. They've shot themselves in the foot and, like, this is a clear la- Labour victory kind of thing. Here we go. And then all of a sudden just, like... <laughs> well, that's, okay, to, to frame it, that's that's the mindset that Don and his Labour-supporting friends take. Like, yeah. the, the uh, this like we say, this play was released in 1971, uh, Gough Whitlam went into office the year after this play was published and first performed. But dealing dealing still with a with a an election in which his his prime ministership was was uh, a, a possibility. Now, for for any anybody that's you know to the left in Australian politics, even even back in you know mid twentieth century. Uh, I feel like he was something of a liberal poster boy. Liberal in terms of, uh, you know, the traditional meaning of the word liberal, not liberal as an Australian liberal party. Australian liberal, But, okay, a a Labor Party, uh, you know, sort of poster child. Yeah. Um, Mainly because prior to that, it was marginally conservative. And I think the the impression that I get is 
Don and his friends are the product of, of um, either mi- mid-war or post-war. I wouldn't say baby boom. I don't think. I think if this movie is taking, or if this movie is taking place in 1969, and Don's friends are around 30, they wouldn't be what you'd term baby boomers. I think that's no, more that- 40, 40s, 50s. That's that's yeah. the baby boomer generation. Yeah. Um, but I do get the impression that their upbringing was more in line with. Uh, the working class and the... Yeah, Cons- yeah sort of yeah. conservative, prim and proper uh, inclinations. Uh, not ultra-countercultural, but a big a big to-do is made about the fact that these these people have studied together at university. Where a lot of what's going on in the 1960s is, is to do with countercultural revolution and, and, you know, innovations in music and, and um, film that's manifesting in a kind of youth spirit um, that seems to have rubbed off in some way on, on Don and his folks... And, and his friends, I should say, it seems that their impulse is in favour of, of a, a liberal. Um, it, you get the sense that Don and his friends are, are hankering for a for a, a liberal win in in favour of a conservative uh, diminishment and defeat, on the pretense that they've they've grown up in a predominantly conservative upbringing and they want they want uh, something new, but then something that's more power to the people. Yeah. Um, and so it's for that reason that they're strongly in favour of a Labour win and where things start to turn ugly, uh, it's predominantly brought on by the, the consumption of alcohol but also the realisation that they're going to lose. Yeah, and I think what makes this uh, movie interesting is the fact that, yeah, this election, you would think that an election would be like the main kind of centrepiece but it's more or less like in the background and it mm. becomes, it starts off as the main centrepiece but then as the movie progresses it's more and more about the people mm. and them just completely letting loose at this party and getting up to yeah. a bunch of mischief with that one. Um, well, there are there are little smatterings where you figure that the political in- inclinations of these characters come into play in a in a in a dramatic sense. Like like Mal has a confrontation with Jody in which he starts to he starts to figure that she's flaunting her conservatism, which she isn't really. I think it's that's the the, the impression that you get is that's more charged by Mal's drunkenness and the the fact that they're sliding starting to slide in terms of um in terms of and she really even doesn't make a big deal about her conservatism either. Like she literally just says, "Oh, it's just based on a kind of feeling that I had." Yeah, and they and they start to question her, like, "No, why would you think that way?" And they're just yeah asking her, like trying to corner her at the party and be like, hey, no, so what are your views on this kind of thing, blah, blah, and she's just, yeah, no, she really does not, like, she's not your typical conservative, oh, I'm going to make a fuss and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what conservatives are like? No, 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 like... I'm going to make a fuss. I'm going to make a fuss. Um, but no, I think that, I think there is a bit of a stereotypical view of conservative... Yeah. Well, it's like if you go, if you go, it's like you know the the characteristic is is militant, potentially racist. Yeah, uh, like I'm I'm willing to speak my mind kind yeah. of thing. But like it's the the more left leaning people that yeah. are speaking their mind and quite loud and vocal yeah. and quite rude, um, which is quite interesting, uh, particularly in this day and age where you know opinions everyone's everyone's got their own opinion i feel like you get the impression with these characters the the ones that are probably more left than right that they're straining to be uh 
politically liberal, not in terms of... Uh, yeah. This is really tricky with the Australian political party oh, situation. Why that where make it like yeah, where the, the Australian Liberal Party is more right-wing than the Labor Party, and the Labor Party is perceivably are uh, most liberal of of the of those two. Mm. Um, you get the sense that 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 Don and his friends are straining to have a air of leftism about him because they know that that's a progression. In 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 their mind, it would make things easier. I don't. Who, who's Evan? Evan professes himself as a as a socialist. And, I th- and uh, socialism is brought up on more than one occasion. Don has got a photo of, of uh, is it Che Guevara? Che Guevara, and, it, and, and it's is, on the fridge, isn't it's it? It's on the fridge. Now, I mean, I think it's hard to say that any of these characters come, come across as all-out communists, but there is a moment in which Simon then confr- confronts Mal, having had enough of his beration with, why don't you go live in Russia then? Yeah. Um, and he's all like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. And it's just like the, their idea of what leftist politics is, is, you know, it's Soviet Russia. Yeah. It's communists. Can I just say, like, I think actually one of... I didn't find this movie, like, super funny, but, like, one of the parts that I think was one of... One of the most funniest parts was actually that scene where they where they're all they've just uh, hopped out of the pool and skinny dipping. Yeah, yes, yeah, so they've been skinny dipping, and then they're accusing each other of being socialists. And like, because it's all uh, it's all done in one shot, and it's all kind of like from the the, the belly button up. Mm. And after they start going like chasing after each other, like, they walk out of frame and into the distance, and you just see like these white bum <laughs> cheeks. <laughs> And, and, like, and, most... some, and a couple of swinging dicks in there. There's a couple of knobs <laughs> into the plane. It's just like, it's just, it's, you know, they're all yelling and having a go at each other. It's just, just these like lily white buns <laughs> in the frame. I think you're, that's a, that's a fair point when, when you, you, you mentioned that, you know, the politics then becomes a sideline. I think one of my one of my criticisms of it on this occasion was I wish that it was probably more to do with the politics, particularly knowing now Maybe it's to do with, you know, if, if the play came out in 1971, they mightn't have known the full significance of what the perceived conservatism of the 60s meant and, and how people would then refer to it in later years. And maybe it, was, it was, maybe it was a matter of trying to keep it current and not dealing with specifics of what was going on at the time, but I kind of wish they had. Yeah. I get the impression that if you were to make a movie like now, that today, it would, in, it would deal very much to do with, you know, party with policy. Po- yeah. And it would be to do with, you know, Vietnam's name checked. Mm. But I believe, from what I know of Gough Whitlam, I believe yeah. he was he was moving to, to withdraw mm. troops. Yeah. And there was also a little bit of that riding on his wing. I mean, wing. you could... I mean, definitely, if you were going to make this, remake this today, I could... An interesting approach I can see this maybe turning into is having a juxtaposition, so having these people at a party in a social setting all talking about politics and then every now and again cutting back and forth to the actual politicians who you would think would be doing their jobs but actually just mucking around and trying to... You know, acting quite juvenile and stuff like that. As, guess, as the characters in this movie come. Yeah, through. and then having that dynamic of being like, oh, well, maybe the people know more than what you think they know, and maybe the people in power aren't as well versus, or you know, something like that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the impression that you get if you were to go off, if you go off the idea that people know more than they think they do, I don't think this movie is a good. Oh advertisement yeah, no, for, for sure. I feel for like sure. Where there are I'm just talking like, about like an yeah, alternative course, scenario yeah. of like if this were being made today, and if there was more of a focus on the 
political side of things. Yeah. I wish that they had done, and and I and like it's strange that they that they don't because the selling point of the movie seems to be that that, that the political inclinations of these characters are very much a backbone to the to the narrative and to the conflict where you know the the inciting conflict is a disagreement between Mel and Jody over their political leanings um but then also there's the desire that Don and his friends have for a for a labor win mm. um and you're right that te- that sort of peters out in favor of personal drama but I think you could even do a further reading into that and you know not to get too artsy fartsy you know, art student film school, not to get into bulk theory, wankery, but you could argue that their their failings are to do with not their leftist inclination, but their probably their diminishment is at the hands of like neoliberal thought and systems. Mm. Like they, but at the same time, they they adhere to it very strongly. Yeah. Like there's the there's the mention of um of uh, Mal and uh, Jenny. Uh, wanting to to do the best that they can by their kids, but doing it to excess. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and they're all about the the flow of money. You know, they they could be. They just spent money on a pool, and, yeah. you know, and and that expensive suit that one of the kids wears only yeah. once. They're, they're not as socialist as they like to think they are. Yeah, they're more concerned. Where where Mal seemed to be uh, berating Jody for the fact that she would. Uh, was renovating for status. Yeah, I think there's very the, the the idea that you get when they have that discussion around what uh, Mal and Jenny are doing for their kids is that they're doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. Um, I th- and I think like I guess that aspect of it is quite interesting because it's like upon my journey of understanding politics and stuff like that, you know. Back in high school, I used to think you know label everything: you're left, you're right, you're socialist, you're this, you're you know, you yeah. are one particular You're either thing. a social justice yeah. warrior yeah. or you're a Nazi. Yeah, you're far yeah. on the left or you're far on this side or you're and just putting everyone into little boxes. But as I've been, I guess, doing a little bit more research into things, um, and granted I'm not a I'm not super well versed in politics. I'm not I'm I, I I'm I'm no expert. But from my understanding, like I don't think that anyone is solely a hundred percent one particular thing. I think everyone's got a little bit of left and a little bit of right in them. Everyone's on a spectrum kind of thing. Um, and I think we kind of get clouded by these perceived labels of, oh, well, I can't, I can't identify with you because you're a liberal voter, mm. you know. Well, I, it's almost like tribal ideology. Yeah, exactly. I, it's like I'm not allowed to associate with you. I personally, I do not like vote. I, I I've never voted for the Liberal Party, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm going to completely cut out yeah. Liberal voters from my no. life. I there are some policies that I'm like, oh no, okay, that that makes sense. There's some policies I do not like, and so it's like with I guess when it comes to politics, what I'm trying to say is like, don't just blindly follow one particular party just for and don't just put yourself don't, into a don't adhere box. to group thought exactly kind of it's like you should be assessing each individual policy as they are presented mm-hmm. to you and you should formulate an opinion or take a stance on them kind of thing it's like i've got some political views on some things that are quote unquote more conservative and then i've got some political views on things that quote unquote um more 
left wing and progressive kind of thing and that's but what see, makes it's 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 tricky when you say even i've got views that are conservative that people like you know you, you didn't say what those views are obviously obviously yeah. not going to probe it but you know it's it's strange that in this in the scope of uh liberal thought and conservative thought if you're a liberal conservative suddenly becomes a dirty word if yeah. you're a conservative Liberal suddenly comes a, becomes a dirty word, exactly. And and I mean that's that's a train of thought that I think you see in, or at least you can perceive it. Yeah. Like you you can perceive that where people start to favour the left, they're they're vehemently left, yeah. and they won't give any credence to anything that isn't anything but yeah. uh, the ideology that they're following. Whereas I feel like if I mean you're a thinking individual, make it up for yourself, and that can that can mean taking from this that, and yeah, the other. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh fuck, that were a tangent. Yeah, that was that was a tangent. Party. But basically, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that yeah, this film does kind of dig into that approach of like, well, just because you're one particular, th- you identify with one particular party doesn't mean that you're a hundred percent all the way there. Like, you can have, and I wish they kind of delved into that a little bit more because I feel like there's elements of that. Um, but I think it was a little bit kind of surface level. I think was... as well there could be just things that we don't understand because we weren't around, you know, as well. Like, yeah. you know, if, if we if we were of the age that Don and his friends are, and I believe that David Williamson wrote this play when he was, say, you know, Don's age, yeah. maybe, maybe what they're talking about and their experiences would be more relatable in the sense of, you know, wanting mm. change, but... But like also, if, also like, not not being an example of that change that you want to see. Yeah, it's like if we were writing, if we were doing a remake of this today and writing about ScoMo, like I, we would definitely identify and have more little niche kind of references to that particular time um, that maybe people in the future might not pick up on the first time around. Yeah. In that sense, it would probably be better to do a film about ScoMo in like ten years' time. Yeah. <laughs> similarly, similarly, like I remember when Vice came out, and my my stepmom was like, "Oh, that seems a bit soon." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, it's ten years. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it is quite a while." <laughs> but you know, you figure that something like Vice couldn't work in two thousand six. Yeah, probably. I think you probably couldn't do that. You yeah. probably couldn't do it while not 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 on grounds of taste, but I don't know that you'd be able to do it as effectively while Bush was still in office. Yeah, definitely not. Um. But you're right, I think that the, the politics in Don's party sort of takes a a sideline and I wish it didn't because I think that that's... In terms of how you can have people's political leanings suddenly become evident in their behaviours, mm. I think that that's really rich territory and it only happens a couple of times. Yeah. And it is in situations like um, the arguments between Mal and Jody, and then towards the end, Jody, uh, not Jody, Don, Kath, Mal and Jenny... Uh, Mac and Cooley seem to be less interested in politics and more to do. And in fact, I think Kath even says it at one point that Cooley hasn't doesn't seem to take an interest in politics. And Don's like, well, he's left of center. Yeah. But, and, but, and, but they seem to be more more about chasing the girls that are at the party. Um, and you're right; it, it does sort of take a, a, a sideline. I wish it didn't, but but it does. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, you get a you get quite a bawdy boisterous I don't want to use the word larrikin because I don't know I think where you refer to Ocker larrikin comedies you get the impression in those situations that they come to romanticize that I think this is quite anti larrikin uh, Ocker behavior yeah 
uh, I think that you know you you could see this. Like I remember showing when I showed you the trailer. The trailer includes the sequence in which the men get uh, Cooley's nineteen-year-old girlfriend, force her to strip and throw her in the pool. Yeah, and I did worry that, like you know, showing that to you, that you get the wrong impression of what the movie is. But I think the movie is very clearly framed in favour of gawping and criticising that kind of behaviour. Mm. Those characters, even Don, who's you know the the titular character, yeah. In terms of a lot of his behaviours, is quite unlikable. Yeah, and a the lot only, of them are. The, and I think the only one who has a degree of likability about him is Simon, mm. and like he he's he's fairly. Uh, Non, he's a non-aggressor, and the one time that he does have an outburst, so to speak, he delivers what I think is like to me is the standout line of the movie, and is genuinely a summation of the whole scenario. Which he's ha- he's fed up with with how the the folks at the party have been treating him. His wife looks to be going off with Mal, yeah, and he he gets his shit together and he gets to the door and he turns around and he says, "I had no idea that university educated people could be so bloody uncouth," and then leaves, <laughs> yeah. And I think that like that's almost like a like a that's like a, a mission statement of <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yeah, I had no idea that these like I was while I was away, I was reading this this uh, book on Iggy Pop. Yeah, and the introduction to it was uh, the the end of the the introductory chapter was in this book. You know, something the effect of in this book, we're going to find out how someone so revered can be so reviled. And how such a smart man could be so stupid. Yeah. It's almost like these people should be really intelligent. They should, and they put yeah. themselves out as being really intelligent and prim and proper and they know what's right. Yeah. And yet they do some awful things. Mm. The way that they treat women in terms of sexualizing them and, and sort of forcing themselves on them is and pretty... And even trading them. Trading them towards the end. And, you know... The, it, the women don't, don't reciprocate and they sort of say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. How dare you? But... Um, you get a very clear view of these people as quite unlikable. But at the same time, it does play into this Larrikin Ocker archetype. And at the time that this movie was released, like you said, 1976, and coming after uh, the director Bruce Beresford's previous efforts, which include the two Barry McKenzie movies. Now, we've talked about Barry McKenzie briefly before, but... Barry McKenzie was sort of embraced by the Ocker audience as, as a celebration of, of their lifestyle and their, their culture, quote-unquote, but Barry Humphreys and uh, Bruce Beresford were, all, were quite taken aback by that response because they were like, we're making fun of you. Yeah. you we're, not, we're not celebrating. Like, you're the joke. And, and apparently when they attended the premiere, there's a story of Barry Humphreys after they, they, you know, they walked the red carpet, so to speak, and then the real-life Barry McKenzie types then serenaded them with Fosters. He apparently went into his dressing room and dry-heaved because he was like, this, this was meant to be an exorcism of you, you people and you've, you've, you've uh, embraced it. Like, it feels like it's, it's fallen flat. Like, yeah. we're, trying to, we're trying to be satirical and you've not got the point. And now it looks like we're celebrating it. I think that this, where it has that behaviour, is a lot more critical of it. I, don't, I think, for the most part, those characters are... Say for the most part, for all of it, all of that behaviour looks really, really disgusting and awful. Uh, particularly the the sexism, the the forced sexual encounters, the uh, the drinking, and the the quote unquote toxicity of some of the masculinity um, that goes on around. Particularly Cooley and Mac, even though I think Mac's a little more uh, likable than any of those in, that are part of Don's circle. 
um, I think you you come at it with a strong sense of judgment. I don't know if you were the same. Yeah, it was definitely the objectif- the objectification of women was not that great by the characters, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, you sum that up. Um, I think, yeah, as mentioned, I would I, I I'd probably give it another go, but. I don't know if I enjoyed this as much as I thought I did. Oh, I thought I was going to. Um, yeah, just a little bit let down by this, but it is has its it has its moments. It has its moments. Um, I think it for a movie that focuses more on the social side of things. I was expecting it to be a little bit more funnier, um, but. If you're going to take a more serious approach, like I would have liked to have seen more of the political yeah. side of things, because at this stage it's a little bit of like it's halfway in between where it's like it's more on the social side of things, but I don't think it's as funny as it is trying yeah. to be. Well, I'm a real sucker for the kind of films and and plays that are the, you know one room get these people in a, in a, in a situation and, and have them talk it out, so to speak. And oh, I, uh, I, I find yeah. it, I found it very, very engaging in that sense. I think, yeah, it's, I, think, I, like, I think it is definitely um, in, engaging because of the fact that it is a very tight script. It's very tight um, location. You know, you've got a handful of cast and crew. Um, yeah, no, I definitely yeah. agree in that sense. I think it's I think it's partly because where you see we obviously you and I we watch movies. We we um, see you know, we, we encounter yep. things that you know aren't as tightly uh, location constricted, tightly as, knitted, yeah. as this movie. And then where this where the, a lot of the action is dialogue based for for a movie to have your attention for, for me it was the the whole way through and it'd be purely based around what the characters are saying, eventually what they're doing um, in certain situations. We'll get into that in, in, into a minute, uh, in a minute. Um, the fact that the dialogue holds your attention for, for the duration, I think, is quite, is quite a, a mean feat. Um, where, the, where, like I said, the play was you know, obviously on one stage, but you have characters leaving, leaving rooms to go and do certain activities, um, the movie shows those goings-on, so, of course... Uh, Cooley eventually seduces Kerry, who's the the uh, the artist figure in the in the piece, um, and that plays out on screen, um, and it gives way to some quote unquote gratuitous nudity yeah. and uh, some a little bit too much, I think. There is a lot of nudity. In, a little bit too much, I think. But I I worry. See, I I worry that that was almost a commercial decision. Yeah. Like I I, I have a feeling that at the time there was a lot. That could be banked on for, an, for in Australian cinema and and in and mid seventies cinema in general, mm. um, in terms of the popularity of bawdy sex comedies. Yeah, and where when I showed you that trailer, there's swearing, there's tits and penises and asses yeah. all about. I can see that being a selling point for seventies audiences. Yeah, um, and it does feel particularly when when people start engaging in infidelity like Don hooks up with uh, Cooley's 19 year old girlfriend yeah or attempts to he does kiss her they're kissing yeah oh yeah that's right okay they kind of yeah yeah and, she, and she's reciprocal of the kiss she's, she's not reciprocal of anything more yeah but he does attempt um, 
it almost unnecessarily involves him pulling down her shirt. Mm. I don't know that you'd do that unless, like, you know, who knows? Maybe Don's just you know, super... Th- maybe maybe there's a scene where she asked him to do that. very horny. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it, it sort of feels a little bit out of place and unnatural at all. Like, just the way it fra- it's framed sort of feels like they're going, okay, let's get some let's get some nudity in here. Yeah. Similar to the, to the sequence just prior to uh, Cooley and Jenny having sex, where there's close-ups of literally, like, uh, Cooley taking his shirt off, yeah. Cooley taking his pants off, then Jenny taking her pants off, yeah. bit of bush, bit of tit. Yeah. Like, and it feels like they're going out of their way to, to, to show it. Or even, like, at the very start, like, there's a moment where uh, one of the characters is just getting changed, and it's just a brief shot, like, fully nude, putting on yeah. a shirt. Kind of and thing. I mean, like, yeah, that one I think is, is, is okay because that's totally circumstantial, but those, and it's not to say that the other ones are totally, you know, out of bounds because, you know, it's a, it's a creative and an artistic decision. Yeah. But it almost felt like it, it was, uh, it was a little on the nose. Yeah. In definitely. terms of, yeah. you know, close up, boob, close up, ass, close yeah. up, shirt coming off. Like it, and I, I think it could potentially have been a commercial. Definitely uh, a product of its time, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I, but I think, you know, where the, where the, none of that happens on stage in the play. Mm. It's almost like, okay, if we're going to make a movie, it's going to be the R rated version. And I yeah. believe it, like it's, it's rated, currently the rated MA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's currently rated MA in Australia, but originally it was rated R. Like yeah. when it came out in the, in the seventies, it was rated R. Yeah. And you can see that. I mean, if, if not for the, for the sex and the, and the nudity for the, for the language. Language, yeah. Like I, 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 I think there's two or three C bombs. Yeah, F bombs abound. We're, like we, we sound like a Christian group reviewing <laughs> it for you know. Don't show your kids this. Um, but coarse characters and coarse language abound. Yeah, um, I can see why it would perceivably ruffle a few feathers mm. back in the day. Back in the day. Um, um, before we start wrapping things up with with the movie, there's a number of things that I wasn't aware of until I came to research them. But apparently, um, Barry Crocker. Do you know Barry Crocker? Barry McKenzie? Do you know yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sang the Neighbours theme song yeah. originally. Neighbors. He was going to play Don. Oh, really? He was cool. going to play Don, but he hurt his back. He hurt his back? He hurt his back. What did he do? Uh, it doesn't say. No, it does. Whilst in the garden. <laughs> hurt his back a, whilst like, in the garden. Like, that's such an Australian thing. Like, oh, no, nah, mate, couldn't, couldn't do that film. I just... Yeah. It's, a, it's a very Australian injury. Yeah. It's on par with uh, boomerang elbow <laughs> and uh, didgeridoo suction. Didgeridoo neck. Didgeridoo lips. <laughs> no, no, didgeridoo neck. Neck. Oh, to, like, right. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting as well. So that uh, this is this is something I wanted to bring up, and I did make a note of it when we were when I was watching the movie. The play is based in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne being the arts hub of. of uh, Australia. Australia, so to yeah. speak. There's a moment when Don's tuning the TV. I mean, okay, so the movie is quite clearly Sydney. There's a moment where the characters are driving along the road and in the background you see uh, the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. It looks like they're travelling, I think, north of... I'm not going to get into the geography of Sydney because I'm not, I'm not hot on it. I can do the CBD once you get into the suburbs. I'm <laughs> like, like, no, where no am clue. I? <laughs> I? Once you get past Redford, I have no <laughs> fucking idea. Um, but there's a moment when Don's tuning the TV... And he starts watching the rugby. I have a feeling that if you were to set this in Victoria, they wouldn't be watching rugby. Because in, in New South Wales, like AFL, mm. like AFL is quite prominent in WA. Yeah. AFL is quite prominent, especially prominent in Victoria. In Victoria, yeah. It's not so much in New South Wales. It's either soccer or it's, or it's rugby. Rugby, yeah. And there's Don watching 
watching the TV uh, or when he's tuning the TV rather and, and rugby comes on the TV and he watches it for a little bit then also later when he's had it to do with Kath and the others are outside eating he has a little moment to himself with a soccer with ball with a soccer ball I yeah. feel like that was a really specific geographical change yeah um, that was then embodied in the culture that I don't know a lot of people would pick up on yeah no I didn't really think of that um, until you brought it up just then no um, definitely is something that is very Sydney specific with that um, I don't think think yeah w- having those kind of very small nuances like you wouldn't it, it, it'd feel slightly out of place if it was set in Melbourne um, yeah yeah I agree I mean I think that I think the kind of person that this is going to sound a bit a bit generic but I think that Melbourne is sort of like a an artsy liberal location I feel like the idea that they're that they're placed in the in the the metropolis hub of Australia yeah then, then makes their or their uh, their opposition to quote unquote conservatism quite potent. Yeah, they feel more power to the people and stick it to the man in a city in a in a in a city where it is very much controlled by the man. Yeah, um, and it makes their struggle quote unquote. You can you can argue how hard <laughs> they're struggling and how much of that's actually self inflicted. Yeah, um, it makes their struggle a little more pertinent. <laughs> I think. Um, before we cap off, I'd also just like to mention that Pat Bishop, who plays uh, Jenny, and Veronica Lang, who plays Jody, both won AFIs for their oh, really? awards uh, for their roles in this film. I'd also like to mention this is something I found out. This was submitted to I think the the Berlin Film Festival, and <laughs> and when it did, they gave out cards that translated Australian slang. Oh, really? For non-Australian audiences. Now, I found that out after watching the movie and I had to think to myself, is there anything in it that you wouldn't understand if you weren't Australian? And I I, I tried to remember. I don't remember there being anything explicitly Aussie in terms of slang. But then again, I bet I'm more likely to let it slide where I just simply know what it means if I had no idea what some of that means and they'd be like, I I get it. Or I'm just that used to it that I just accept it as regular words. Like, I think... um, like there's a moment in the second Barry McKenzie in fact I think it's right the way through the Barry McKenzie movie where Barry McKenzie speaks in slang that's kind of, I'm I'm not going to repeat it because some of it's really really uh, gratuitous but it gets to the point where they put up subtitles (laughs) and you know that that's almost a joke in of itself the fact that they're subtitles yeah but there wasn't anything that I picked up on in Dodd's party that I was like oh you probably wouldn't understand that but you know who knows you know we're we're a weird bunch to a yeah it's only until you're an outsider that you'd probably pick up on things that we think are normal kind of thing (laughs) um but yeah Don's party do you know what I just realized what we didn't talk about what we're gonna do next week beforehand we shall, usually do that, guys. Shall we pick something now? Just, just lay it on me, Jesse. It's hold your on, hold on. Let me have a look at my list. Okay. Just give me one moment. And look at us improvising on the fly. I'm going to open up my letterbox now. I'm going to... Because it's my turn to pick this week. It is your because turn Because Lachlan picked last time. So I'm checking my letterbox here, and I am have finally decided on a film I think that next episode I have we, no idea what this is. we should tackle the 2016 uh, Perth made film Hounds of Love oh fuck I haven't seen that really 
Yeah, you're face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good because I, I I said we should do one that you've you've seen and I haven't. Yeah, and I struggled to find one because part of me wanted to pick something that I haven't seen before because I'm on a bit of a quest to try and discover more of Australian cinema that I haven't already seen. Um, and I didn't really want to pick something that I've seen like 50 times before because you've got some iconic Australian films that are just ingrained in your mind kind of thing, um, e.g. The Castle, um, which is weirdly something we really should have been covered by I now. was going to say, if I was here for the 10th episode, which was last episode, I was going to say that should be our 10th episode. That should. We will do that eventually. I can't be fucked. <laughs> I've just seen it so many times. So many times. Um but yeah, I reckon we should do the Ben Young film uh, "Hands of Love." Dude, as if I didn't, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Oh my! God. I can't believe I scrolled past it so many times on my letterbox yeah. here, and it took me about five minutes to. <laughs> I think as well, like at the, at, we've been weirdly contemporary in a lot of this, and 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 quite um, what's the word? Uh, eclectic in what we've chosen. Not mm. that that's a bad thing, of course. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was strange to think that we're, we're doing where a lot of my love for Australian movies come from things from uh, the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. It's strange that this Don's Party is, at the minute, it's the oldest movie we've done. Exactly. It's yeah. strange. I think before that, the oldest movie we did was Muriel's Wedding or, and Priscilla, which came out the same year. Yeah, exactly. That was something new that I found out when I listened to the last week's episode. Yeah, I didn't so know that they both came, came out the same, same year. year. That's really strange. I, I, th- I think it is weird to think that those two were in 1994 because because of the way it's shot, it feels like it's a movie that is older than it is. Yeah, and also, and also we weren't around then. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's almost hard. Like, it's, it sucks that we're coming to it. Like, our perception of its distribution is mm. based totally around uh, home video releases where you imagine that if you saw it, yeah. you know, saw either of those movies when they came out in cinemas, you'd have a, you'd have a connection to it that was mm. to do with, oh, I remember seeing that in cinemas. It was the day that I went down to this and, mm. you know, everything looked as it did in 1994 Yeah, and everything. Um, but we, have that, we don't have that connection. Yeah. I, I mean, you can almost do it as, oh, Muriel's Wedding, that was in cinemas the same time as this was. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I th- when I think of... Like, literally now, when I think about watching the Child's Play re- reboot, I'm going to be constantly remembering the fact that I thought to myself, as I went into Child's Play, in the very next cinema, Toy Story 4 is playing. <laughs> and you could just so easily, just like the, the contrast between the two, but then also the, the similarity of the toys involved. You've got a friend in me. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. like, it was like, that's forever in my mind mm. um, in terms of r- relating to Child's Play. Yeah, exactly. The movie, not exactly. Child's children child. playing, yeah. yeah. But anyways, let's play the trailer for Hounds of Love. Yes, right now. Yeah. Hey, love. Do you want a lift? Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Let's jump in. Yeah, I read your little diary. Your mum wouldn't let you out, so you snuck out, didn't you? Probably not even looking for you. <laughs> you think she's prettier than me? Come on, Evie. You're my queen. Yeah, so Hounds of Love. This will be the third time I've seen it. Um, I've seen it twice in cinemas. So I saw it, I think it was like the first week of it being released and then a couple of weeks later. Now, Go on. I will elaborate... <laughs> 
in the episode when we record this, but the second time was on a date. Oh. And let me tell you this, it is not, a, like, it is not a, a movie you should take someone on a date to see. But it's called Hounds of Love. Yeah, I know, exactly. It is a, Ransom, isn't it? <laughs> it is a very misleading title. And, um, yeah, we actually, being, you know, living in Perth here, we have a bit of a connection to some of the people involved in this movie. Oh. And it's Perth being such a small town, you know, if you don't have a friend that was in involved in the movie, you have a friend of a friend yeah. who was involved in this movie. Like, yeah. I know of some people who were, like, extras in it and stuff like that, so... Yeah, well, yeah quite it, shamefully, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, definitely check it out. Um, Do you want to know what's even more shameful? What? I own a copy of it on Blu-ray, and it's still shrink-wrapped <laughs> on my <laughs> no, shelf. No, that's horrible. <laughs> Definitely Sorry. Un- unwrap that Blu-ray and give Unsheathed. it a watch because oh. it is definitely a must-watch. It's also on Stan, is it not? I don't think so. Isn't it? Is it, is it on anything? Hmm. I think it's just on Blu-ray. Okay. And DVD. Well, I, I hope it becomes more available because like, I've heard a lot about it I almost bought mm. it out of social out of social obligation where it's just been t- spoken to me so many times yeah. and I felt like oh, if, if I'm going to be about uh, cinema and you know a, a film comes out and it's out of WA you know you've got to give it a got to give it a go got to give it a go unfortunately it's taken me two years two bloody years yeah. yeah but anyways yes that is what we'll be watching next episode. And I will be there. I won't be dead. You won't be dead? Maybe I'll be dead. Dude, wouldn't it be awful if I died between now and next episode after wouldn't, saying that? Wouldn't it be awful if we both died? And they're just like, where's the pool room? Where's it gone? And it's nowhere. And everywhere. It's not, it's not, it's a, it's not a literal room, guys. <laughs> it is. But maybe it is. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like to think that people think that we record in a really lush environment. No, we've got an aircon blaring. We have my computer. Fucking prison cell. (laughs) This looks like something out of uh, the movie Scum. This looks like one of the rooms in Hounds of Love. (laughs) That's a lovely setup. (laughs) That's a lovely. That's an ominous setup for next episode. (laughs) If only you had said that next episode, and that could be one of your neat little segues. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Well, speaking of grey rooms... Grey rooms. <laughs> being locked in somewhere. <laughs> uh, but oh, anyways, God, I'm dying. I need to go to sleep. Yeah, I need to go to sleep, too. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you. Give this a share. Uh, head over to my Twitter, at Neil Creative. Give me a follow. Give me a tweet. Send me, yep. send me your thoughts. Tell me if I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell him if he's not, though. <laughs> don't. I don't want to know. Um, but, yeah, no. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. On the pool room. On the pool room. Okay. Bye. Bye. I've been saying that, like, every single time. I think there's, there's a podcast by a guy called... Cut it, and I'll tell you this after. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.